head bowed this morning, I want you to hear what Jesus said. He said that your father already knows what you need before you ask him. So before you even came in here this morning, the God of the universe was well aware of the prayer and the concerns that were on your heart. And I just want to invite you in the quietness of this moment to just give that to God this morning. You might not even, it doesn't have to be a fancy prayer with King James language. Just give it to him. Just say, God, I give this to you, this thing. <clears throat> Invite him to take it today, and he will. Lord God, I want to thank you this morning that uh, Janet's here and doing so awesome after the knee surgery. It's amazing, God. Thank you. Thank you for your healing touch in her body. Lord, I thank you. I'm still marveling at what you did in Linda's wrist and hand and her heart last week at the healing service. Amazing, God. You're so good. Thank you, God. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that we have to gather here in this place today. It's such a good thing. Thank you, Lord, for the joy that I know that I have in my heart just to be able to be here with my friends and celebrate you. It's good. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for, uh, for your word, the Bible. And we pray today that you would please, God, teach us. You're, you wrote it, so God, help us understand it. <laughs> and then give me the strength, God, to put it into action in my life today. So we commit this to you, Jesus. In your holy name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Hey, welcome, Vicki. So I know that uh, they get embarrassed by this, but it sure is cool to have Todd and Jen McCoy and their family here today. And Todd and Jen, uh, they moved to Pennsylvania this summer. And so... It's just great. To, what a surprise. I didn't know you were coming today. It's great. Huh? They confused? Yeah, yeah. Can, yeah, it's great. Well, I'm glad you're here. I, I want to I hug later, Todd. I know how much you love that. I know it. I'm glad you're here, too. Vicki's here today, and Vicki's not here every Sunday, and it's great to have you here, Vicki. So she's such an encouragement. You really are. You make you make my heart glad every time I see you. So that's happy is good. That's a good thing. I like happy. Well, this morning let's take a look into the Bible. Okay, we're going to look at a at a number of Bible verses today. So it's a good thing if you have your Bible out. But if not, it's also thank thankfully Katie was able to put it all in the computer early so that we've got it on the screen for you too. But um, I believe with all my heart that this book, the Bible, is unlike any other book because it's the only book that you study in order to become like the one who wrote it. I don't read any other book that way. But the author of this book is the God of the universe, and he desires to form me in the image of his son, to make me as he created me to be. It's the only book I study to be like the one who wrote it. And there's... Well, um, 
Okay, so that was it. So now we're going to get into this. So this morning, um, I com- the, the, the message got completely changed around this morning. So if you're going to try to follow the bulletin, don't, don't do that because um, it got all changed this morning. As I was in here just praying and thinking about communion today, and we're going to celebrate communion together in a little while, um, started thinking about this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, I'm going to start there. You know, I got a confession to make. My whole life, I'm in this new place in my walk with God that I've never been before. My whole life, I've just used Jesus. Jesus has been more of a fix than a friend. You know what I mean? Like you have a problem, go to Jesus. Uh, I want... Peace, love, joy, hope, all that great stuff. Where do I get it? Jesus. I want to go to heaven? Jesus. Like Jesus is the fix for all the problems, right? Jesus. And he is the fix. I believe he is the answer to all of our questions. I I do believe that. However, the danger in that is that I make Jesus a means to an end and not the end. The, The danger in that is Jesus becomes just the just the, the next thing I use to get what I really want. And I'm saying, Jesus is really what I want. In uh, my blog a couple of weeks ago, I posed the question, if heaven were a trailer park, would you want to go there? If Jesus was, then, if Jesus was in that trailer, you betcha. I'd spend all of eternity in that trailer park if Jesus was there. I mean, I believe heaven is a glorious place. Don't get me wrong. I believe it's beautiful. I'm just, you get the heart of the question? If it's not about the gold streets and the pearly gates and the mansions and the stuff that you hear about, it, it's Jesus, Jesus. And so if it's a trailer and Jesus is there, then sign me up. I'll spend all of eternity with him in the trailer. Follow? My question, though, is this. If I never got anything else in this life, but all I got was Jesus, would that be enough? So is Jesus just the way to my American dream so that I can, you know, have more peace, love, and happiness? Or is Jesus the goal? Whew. So you start asking yourself these kind of questions, and I'm beginning to wonder, man, what is this thing I believed in my whole life? So then I come to Communion Sunday, and I come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and this passage that I've read my whole life, you know, going to church, and suddenly, it has me thinking. So let's think together today, okay? Just, just follow, just, let's just follow through this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, it says, So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Whoa, I don't want to do that. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Okay? For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have even fallen asleep. They've died. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we're judged in this way by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we'll not finally be condemned with the world. So that tells me that this is like more than a cracker and some juice. This is more than a religious exercise. There's something 
really uh, powerful going on here. And I, I don't even pretend to know what it is, but it's, it's important, right? Such that if I don't examine myself before I partake in it and enjoy in it, I could be doing this the wrong way. And he says even some of you are sick and even dead because you've been doing this the wrong way. So this is a really important thing to consider, isn't it? He tells us to examine ourselves. Go over to 2 Corinthians. So if you're in 1 Corinthians, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. And he says the same thing. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Like, this is a really important test we're taking. Right? It's a really important test. Examine yourself. What questions on the test? What's the test? I mean, I'd like to know, right? If this is a really important test, then what is it? If it's one of those tests that just has that one question on it, and I believe it is, there's only one question on this test, and you got to get the question right, right? So it's a really important one. Well, what is it? Go to 1 John chapter 3. Again, same kind of idea. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. What's the test? How do I examine myself? Well, 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. He says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Okay, ready? You ready for the answer? So we don't have to make this up. The Bible tells you how you can pass the test. Thank God for that. Verse 20, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God's greater than our hearts and he knows everything. That's good news. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask. Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command. Now we're getting down to the crux of it. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So what's the test? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Believe in the name of God's son, Jesus Christ. Place your bets on him. Not as a way, but as the only way. Not just as like one of many great ideas, but as the only way. Place your faith in him and love one another. Um, boy, that loving each other thing is, you say, well, great, I love other people. You know, it's, that's a tough one. It's, um, you know, I think about you guys, like I love you, but some of you I wouldn't even like if it weren't for Jesus. <laughs> Right, I mean, like the thing that the thing that connects us is our love for Jesus, right? It's really amazing how Jesus becomes a glue. Uh, it's it's incredible. And then verse twenty four, the one who keeps God's commands lives in Him, and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. How do I know that Jesus Christ lives in me? Well, I know it by the Holy Spirit. We talked about him last Sunday. I know it by the Spirit's presence in my heart. So that tells me something, that God's Spirit in me is obvious. He's not, doesn't leave you up to guessing. 
The infinite God doesn't move into a finite being and then not rearrange the furniture a little bit. You know what I mean? I mean, the Holy Spirit's presence is evident in a person's life. It's not up for guessing. There's a change. There's a mark. He says, how do you know it? God's Spirit lives in you. Well, how do I know if it's God's Spirit? Keep reading. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You know, there's a, well, just a lot of noise in our world these days. A lot of noise. How do I know what's true, what's not true? How do I know? Verse 2, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. I recently had a conversation with a lady who told me she believed in God, but she didn't really believe that Jesus was God. That's the spirit of Antichrist. That's Antichrist right there, right? It says if, if, you're, if you have the spirit of God in you, the spirit of God doesn't say that. The spirit of God recognizes that Jesus Christ is God. The Spirit of God recognizes that Jesus Christ is the only way, that Jesus isn't just a way or a good solution or a nice idea. He's not, it's not Jesus, Mohammed, and Buddha up there playing cards together and you pick one. It's Jesus, period. The way, the truth, the life, and nobody comes to God the Father except through Jesus, Jesus. He says, that's how you know that it's God or it's not. Anything less than that is not God. Follow? Now, this is fascinating to me. Go to John chapter 14. Go flip back now. I put, I put these tabs in my Bible so that I could find them faster. John chapter 14. This is Jesus talking. And Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me and keep my commands and I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Let's just break that down for a second. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying prove your love. He's not saying, oh, if you love me, you'll prove it. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying that obedience to his commands, it just follows love. We obey because we love. It's kind of like this. Many years ago, when my wife and I were still dating, we made an agreement with one another. This is 20, long time ago. <laughs> we agreed together that if either one of us asked the other for a glass of water, we would get it. And we did that on purpose. You say, it's just a glass of water. No, that glass of water is significant. For us, it's a picture of mutual submission and the love that we have for each other. That she asked me for a glass of water, I drop what I'm doing to get her the glass of water because I love my wife and I want to serve my wife. 
I ask her for a glass of water. She drops what she's doing. She gets me a glass of water because she loves me. I'm her husband. Obedience flows out of the love. Follow that? Obedience changes everything, or love changes everything about obedience, and it really depends upon the relationship. If my wife asks our son to take out the garbage and he does it, that's obeying his mom. If he doesn't take out the garbage, then he's disobeyed his mom, right? If she asks me to take out the garbage and I don't take out the garbage, have I disobeyed my wife? Oh, she ain't my mom. I've dishonored my wife. You see? The relationship changed. It's the same behavior. It's still taking out the garbage. It's still obedience. But the intimacy in the relationship changes the dynamics and the consequences of the action. Follow that? So if it's my son, he's just disobeying mom. We'll ground him. We'll take away the allowance or something. If it's me, I've dishonored my wife. And so that's the heart behind this statement Jesus says. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Obedience, it just follows love. It's part of the relationship. It's part of the intimacy in the relationship. Obedience. And then I love the next part. Jesus says, so if you love me, then I'll talk to dad. And uh, we'll see to it that he sends you the spirit of truth to be with you forever. I love that. So over in 1 John, how do I know that I have Jesus in my heart? Well, I know it by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who tells me that Jesus is the only way, right? How do I know I have Jesus? Well, Jesus says, you love me and you'll get the Spirit. So it's like, these guys are working together. It's like they're God or something. It's amazing. That's, it's, it's, it's incredible, my friend. Jesus promises us, you love me, you love me. You love me, I'll send you my spirit, and he'll be with you forever. And that brings me over then to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, which was really my main text this morning. So 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians rather, chapter 13, verse 14. And it says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. One of the commentators that I read actually said that this verse, you know, this is a lot more than the Apostle Paul signing off on the end of a letter. Like, this one verse is all you would really need to prove the doctrine of the Trinity. You have the Son, the Father, the Holy Spirit, all in the same sentence. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Can we just break this down for a second? What's the grace? What's the grace of Jesus? The grace of Jesus. John chapter 1. I'm going to fly through this. John chapter 1. It says this. Um, out of his fullness... We have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. I love that phrase. We get grace in place of grace. Does that catch your eye? What is that? Grace 
in place of grace. Here's, here's what I, I believe it is. The first grace is the Old Testament. It's the law. You go, how is the law an act of grace? Well, because the law tells you where you did wrong. You go, well, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, but you need to know where you went wrong so that you know how it can be made right. Follow? I go to the doctor. I want the doctor to say, I mean, I don't want the doctor to say, you know, you have cancer. But if I do have cancer, I want the doctor to say, you got cancer. And here's how we fix this, right? I need to identify the problem before I can fix the problem. So the first act of grace is the Old Testament, the law of Moses, right? The Ten Commandments, all that stuff. What does that do? God's highlighting where you and I went wrong. He's saying, this is where you blew it, folks. Right here, this is, this is where you went wrong. That's not God beating you up. That's God being gracious. That's God going, okay, friend, here's how it went wrong. And then grace in place of grace, that's Jesus. Here's the solution. Here's the cure to the first problem. He's grace in place of grace. Acts chapter 15, verse 11 says this, that we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. It's through his grace. You know what grace is? There's a difference between grace and mercy. Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. Check this out. I deserve hell. But I'm not getting it. That's mercy. Grace is when I get what I don't deserve. I don't deserve heaven. But I'm getting it. That's grace. See the difference? Mercy and grace. So here I have grace. It's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that I'm saved. It's pure grace that Jesus would actually love me enough to claim me as his own. And then what's the, then there's the third verse there. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's amazing to me. I, nobody's ever given me that kind of gift. Have you ever gotten that gift? Do you, have you ever known anybody else that bankrupted themselves in order to give you all that they had? Nobody else has ever loved me that way. But Jesus did. Jesus literally set heaven aside, came to earth, walked among us, died on a cross, suffered for our sins. I mean, he literally paid the penalty that was yours and mine. That's grace. It's the grace of Jesus. But the next thing in the verse says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God be with you, right? What's the love of God? Do you know John 3.16? If you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Wow. God so loved you that he gave his only son. Friend, he gave his one and only son for you. How could we ever question his love again? I mean, I, 
what else does God need to do in order to demonstrate his love for you and me, right? He gave, look at, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. So God loves you, and he gave. His one, he gave his very best. Do you know what it means when we say God's love never fails? God's love never fails. That means that even at my worst, I still get God's best. Because his love never fails. His love isn't conditional. His love isn't, isn't flighty. It's not you know, moody. God's faithful. His love never fails. And then this one really blew my mind away. Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says this. Just, this is a cool verse. Try to wrap your brain around this one. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So how does God treat his enemies? According to this verse, how does God treat his enemies? He dies for us, right? If that's how God treats his enemies, how does God treat his friends? <laughs> if God dies for his enemies, then what does God do for his friends? He goes, you are saved through his life. Life like you've never known before. Life, he says. Man, that's the love of God right there. So we have not just the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and not just the love of God, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 14, but we also have the last piece of that is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. What is that? Look at John chapter 14. Jesus says, I read it a moment ago, if you love me, keep my commands, and I'm going to ask Dad, and he'll give you the Spirit to be with you forever. Look at 1 John 3, 24. This is how you know that he lives in you, by the spirit that he gave you. God's spirit lives with you. And then the last one, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 14. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the spirit be with you all. That word fellowship, it literally means friendship. It means we share things in common. It's like the Holy Spirit is my friend. He's not just someone that I use when I have church or, you know, he's not just like a religious thing. He's my friend. I wake up this morning. Good morning, Holy Spirit, right? I live the day. Holy Spirit, I'm thankful you're with me today. He's with me in the thick and the thin of things. He's with me. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes God close in you and me the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And that's why, friends, I say this, that I'm realizing I've been getting it wrong all these years. Getting it wrong. I am. I'm getting it wrong because I've been using the Holy Spirit as a means to an end. I've been using Jesus just to get... I've been using Jesus. Here's how sick this is. Because I'm a pastor, right? So I, I can do this in ways that you can't, which is really sickening. I can use Jesus to further my career. That's wrong. 
How many times do I come and I pray and I pray and I pray because I want a good sermon, because I want to have a great church service, because I want you guys to just think I'm the best, because I, you know, fill in the blank. It's sickening. I'm convinced that Jesus is the best friend I could ever ask for, period. And I'm coming to the place where I'm content to say, okay, God, you can have other high-powered guys. You can have other guys that do all kinds of cool things in your name. That's great. You got Benny Hinn. You got Billy Graham. You got Mother Teresa. You got all these great people. Fantastic. But you know what? I'm content to just be your friend and leave it at that. There's no greater joy than simply knowing Jesus and being known by him. That's what he came for. Jesus didn't die on a cross to make you religious. So don't use Jesus as a fix. Come to him as a friend. I'm concerned for many of us because I think that many of us, you uh, were sold a bill of goods. You were, you were sold a message like this. Is your life falling apart? Are you really feeling bad? Is it really awful? Well, then why don't you come and ask Jesus to be your Savior and he'll make everything okay. And so we immediately enter this relationship with Jesus as our fix. I'm fully convinced that he loves to answer prayers. He loves to bless his kids. He's a good dad. I mean, my goodness, he is. He's the best. I'm fully convinced of that. But I'm concerned that maybe I and others have sold you a bill of goods. And I want to invite you this morning to lay that aside and say, Jesus, if you never answered another prayer for me again, I'd be glad to be your friend. I wonder how many of you would come back next week. <laughs> I got one. Me and you, Mike, we're going to have a great time. <laughs> yeah. So as we come into communion, and I'm going to invite, she's the cutest piano player ever. That's all I got to say. I'm going to invite uh, the worship team to come and to lead us, but we're going to celebrate communion. And I want to encourage you to let this be a beginning, a new beginning for you. This really applies to all of us. You know what, I've been, see, I got saved when I was 15, um, almost 50, 35 years. So I've been, I've been saved for 35 years, and I'm at a new beginning, right? New beginning. And maybe that's you, but maybe you're at a, this is a new beginning for all of us, right here. I want to invite you this morning to take communion with me after having thoroughly examined ourselves, as the Bible told us to do. And let this be the first act of faith in your relationship with Jesus. To say, Jesus, 
you went through all of this so that we could be friends. That's what I want. I want to be a friend of God. So Holy Spirit, I invite you to just uh, move in this time that we share communion together. And I pray, Lord, first of all, Jesus, I want to tell you that I'm sorry because I have used you to just further my career. I've used you, Jesus, just to get what I want. And I'm saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'd rather have you, frankly, than all the other stuff. So Jesus, I invite you into my life today. I'm going to ask our ushers to come and to service with the bread and